I have heard of that, that either at the last minute they'll decide they don't want to do the deal or they have changed the terms. And um, it's not a very comfortable situation. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guests, I want to mention FunNet Flip because FunNet Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on, uh, or the main two things, are the deal and the money. Uh, so if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and today's Saturday. Happy Saturday. I hope you're having a wonderful start to your weekend. And because it's Saturday, we're going to celebrate by doing a special segment. If you're a loyal listener, then you know all about the segment. It's called Situation Saturday, where we put our best ever guests in a situation, and then they talk about how they would get out of that situation and uh, be successful through uh, at the end of it. And it's not just hypothetical stuff. It is a situation that the best ever guest has actually been in so that they can speak from firsthand experience. This show's all about cutting out that fluffy stuff and getting straight to investing advice, real estate investing advice that moves your real estate investing business forward. So today, if you are a multifamily investor, then this show is for you. If you ever need to do some sort of borrowing from a lender, which should be most of the best ever listeners, then this show is also for you because there's some interesting things that we're going to come across. So here's the situation and then I'll introduce our best ever guest. The situation is getting financing on a commercial loan on a group of residential properties. How do you get that financing? So with us today, we have a previous best ever guest, and you can check out his best ever advice on episode 47, and it's titled, Follow the Well-Worn Path to Success, Jeff Greenberg. Hello, Jeff. Hello. How you doing, Joe? Hey, doing really well. Thank you for coming back to the show and uh, speaking with me and sharing your expertise with the best ever listeners. Jeff is the managing partner of Synergetic Investment Group. Did I pronounce it right that time? Yeah, that was great. Awesome. Synergetic Investment Group. He's invested in over 700 multifamily, both as a uh, investor and then also both passively and then also as an active investor. He runs three RIAs in California and he's based in Ventura, California. 
And best ever listeners, if you're in California, props to you because you live in the state that has the most best ever listeners. Although New York City, I've recently found out when I look at the stats, New York City's got the most listeners in a city, but California's got the most for any state. So Jeff, here's the situation. As I, as I mentioned, you've got to get financing with a commercial loan on a group of residential properties. How do you go about it? And before you answer that, if uh, you want to kind of set the stage on your deal so that we have some context. Okay. Thank you, Joe. The particular deal that we were working on was an eight property portfolio. It consisted of single family, duplex, triplex, and one property that would be considered commercial, which was uh, 12 studio apartments. Seven of them are right next to each other. One of them is about a half a mile away. So all of this complicated things, um, not only that, it's in the uh, in Ohio, where where myself or none of the principals live. So again, that, that added to the complication. Okay. So you've got a, uh, and how many total units? There was 28 units. Okay. So you got a 28 unit, 20 units total. One of them is a, a 12 unit building, all studio. And then you've got a mixture of duplexes and triplexes. Any, any single families? Yes. Two singles. And two single families. Okay. So... What was the challenge when that you came across with that type of portfolio? Well, there was several challenges, and we had, uh, I think, three banks and two mortgage brokers that approached us immediately when they found out that the property was being sold, but they slowly dropped off with various reasons, and some of those reasons were, one, None of the principals were local to the state of Ohio. The properties were not all contiguous next to each other, located next to each other. They were, for the most part, essentially residential, non-commercial units. And there was one that had difficulty with the syndication, where the uh, principals that would own 30% of the property uh, had 100% of the control. And so we had uh, one of the lenders uh, dropped out because of that. And then I believe that we also had one that was concerned that the demographics for the city was fairly flat, even though the school that the property is uh, near has been around for 200 years. They were concerned that the demographics weren't increasing. So those were were pretty much uh, some of the hurdles that we had to get past. When you look back on this and you apply the learnings, and we'll talk about your solution here in a second, but when you look back on it and you apply the learnings, would it be helpful to have just a one sheet, so one piece of paper listing out, hey, I know you said you're interested, but none of the principals live in the state of Ohio. The properties aren't exactly next to each other, even though they're close. Here's the unit mix and breakdown. We are syndicating it. We've got 30% ownership, but we control 100%. And say, do you still, do you, are you still interested? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we did part of that in the beginning. Not, it seems as we added objections, <laughs> we added those to our list. And uh, so finally with the, the, the final lender, you know, we, we gave all that information. We said, here, up front, you know, we don't want to waste anybody's time. Uh, this is how it is. We don't see any any changing it. Are you good with that? 
And uh, finally, we got the, the final lender that was satisfied with that. What type of lenders said no and what type of lenders said yes? Well, we had, we had somebody that did the uh, Fannie Mae. Uh, we had someone, uh, CMBS, that was looking at it, a broker that you know, said that they wouldn't be able to do it. There was private banks, and those were the ones that didn't like the idea of no local presence. And, uh, or excuse me, those were local banks. And then finally, the last one was, I guess, somewhat of a local bank, but it, it's a privately held bank that they finally were the ones uh, based out of Kentucky, but it's a privately held bank that finally uh, decided that, that we fit into their, their requirements. For any Best Ever listeners not familiar with CMBS, can you explain that? Basically, those are uh, loans that are going to be sold out on, onto the, um, into the stock market. Basically, uh, those are loans that they know they're going to be sold out, so they have to make sure they, they fit the requirements uh, of those people that would be buying them and buying basically uh, on the market. So when you found the, the lender in Kentucky, the regional bank that's privately owned, what was the conversation with them? Basically, I'm, I, it was just basically here it is. This is. I mean, these are what we've got going with all those lists of, of possible objections. And they looked at it and they looked at the numbers. They, they liked the community uh, and they, uh, they were fine with it. And so they made us an offer. And what was, how does that offer process go? Well, the offer, they, they sent us um, a letter of interest, which normally when we're making an offer on a property, it's a letter of intent, but uh, in the banking industry, letter of interest. So an LOI, and they gave us the terms that they would be interested in uh, loaning us the money. And then they go through all of their their due diligence. And it, it ended up that the terms ended up changing later on. But uh, initially, they gave us terms that uh, were of interest to us that we felt would work. What were the terms originally? And what were the term options originally? And what did they end up being? They originally offered us uh, an, an 80 loan to value, 80% with a 20-year amortization, which isn't thrilling to us. We like to get a 25 or 30. That would be with a 4.5% interest. The other choice they gave us was a 75% loan to value with a 25-year amortization. That was going to be a 5% loan. So when we looked over the numbers, the 80-20 looked better with the 4.5. As it came down to it at the end, about a week or two before closing, they changed the offer. They said they would give us a 75% loan to value with a 20-year amortization, and they did hold the 4.5% interest rate. But then they also tacked on a couple other things that uh, we weren't aware of. Uh, one was that we were required to put $28,000 in a CapEx fund, which we had budgeted for, I believe, about $500 a door. This was $1,000 a door. So there was more than, than we expected. That was the main thing. Those, those were the, the, main, the two main changes. With the required 28000 so 1000 roughly a thousand a door. Did you end up with that? Yeah, we weren't, there wasn't a way to get out of that. We, we put that in there. 
The one thing that, that they did do, which we thought was rather interesting and non-productive, <laughs> was when we mentioned the 75% loan to value that they had offered the 80, they said, well, if we wanted to, they would give us the 80% loan, but we would have to put 5% in the bank and hold it there for five years, which doesn't make any sense because <laughs> rather than putting it into the property, we'd be putting it into their bank and earning uh, essentially no interest on it. And so I don't even know why they, they bothered to make that offer. That was rather ridiculous. As you're talking through these different options for lenders and trying to get this thing resolved, what's going on on the negotiation front and your contract in particular with the seller? Well, with the seller, fortunately, we had a seller that was, they weren't in a uh, an exceptional rush and they were willing to accept extensions. So we had several extensions as we went along and we had negotiated in the contract Originally, it was a 90-day close, and we had in the contract that we could extend for another 30 days for 50% of the earnest money going hard, so we made use of that extension. And then when we still needed more time and needed another extension, not in the contract, but they, they accepted the second half of the earnest money to go hard for, for another extension. And then we actually had a couple extensions beyond that that they didn't ask for anything. They just uh, knew that we were that we were diligently trying to close on the property, and they were willing to hold with us and and stay with us. And so on the additional extensions, they just did it for no extra no extra fees. How much did you have in earnest money tied up? Uh, there was a total of twenty three thousand dollars. 23000 and that money after the second extension was hard, so meaning non-refundable. Yep, certainly was. Was there ever a thought of, oh man, I, I'm, I don't think I can get this loan, so peace out to that 20 plus K? Well, it wasn't just that 20, it wasn't that 20 plus K, it was also the other money that we had tied up into it, you know, the all the uh, the due diligence money, the we had property inspection. We had, um, you know, a trip down there. We had a syndication expenses. There was about fifty thousand total, all tied up, and it was this was going to happen. We weren't going to let it not happen. <laughs> is that earnest money? Is that a percentage of the purchase price? Yeah, that was one percent of the purchase price. And is that what you typically do? Yes, typically we'll we sometimes might try to go in lower, but uh, typically that's what the the seller wants. I want to quickly go back to the bank that you ended up going with in Kentucky and how the loan terms changed two weeks prior to when you're supposed to close. Why did they change? Well, that was interesting because that was a question I asked, and I asked the loan officer. And basically what he stated was normally when he's creating the letter of interest, he uses his calculations and his formulas and based on uh, our resources and the property. And he comes up with a letter of interest and that he proposes to us. When it comes down to the end of the loan, it has nothing to do with his formulas, even though he basically gives a presentation to the senior loan committee. And they can go along with his proposal or not. 
And in this case, he wasn't able to sell him, sell them on his terms. And they wanted more. They wanted uh, to change the terms. And so my question to him was, well, don't they ever see it prior to this? He says, no, no, it's all based on the formulas and the calculation he does. And then we're kind of at their mercy at the end of it when when everything is all ready to go and we have to go along with whatever their decision is or go to another bank and try <laughs> try all over again. Yeah, two weeks before you're supposed to close. Right. How convenient. Have you come across that? Do you know if that's typical? I have heard of banks changing the terms. Usually what ends up happening is is I know people that will go to another bank and hopefully there's a lender out there that can save them or or they get an extension. Um, I have I have heard of that, that either at the last minute they'll decide they don't want to do the deal or they have changed the terms. And um, it's not a very comfortable situation. So we started out Situation Saturday with the question, how do you get a commercial loan financing on a group of residential properties? Essentially, that's what it is. Although you do have a 12 unit mixed in there. And uh, the answer that you ended up with is uh, you spoke to a mortgage broker who connected you with a regional bank that's privately held, and they are able to come up with this solution. Is that correct? Correct. And I, and I think the, the key here, Joe, is probably getting the relationship with the mortgage broker. I know a lot of residential investors you know, go straight to the banks, but the, at least the mortgage broker has an idea of what the different lenders are like and what, you know, that he's worked with them before and have some knowledge of them. And that, a lot of times that might uh, be an advantage in your corner. Awesome. And how did you get in- introduced to the mortgage broker? Actually, this was a broker that had approached me when he heard the property. This was one of the five that had approached me, and um, his his offerings that he had at that time weren't as good as some of the other ones that ended up disappearing. So I ended up falling back on him, and he was the one that was finally able to to pull it off. Awesome. Is there anything that we haven't talked about as it relates to getting this financing that you think we should talk about? Well, the only thing is is, is to kind of keep an open mind as far as some uh, different lenders. It was fortunate that this deal was strong enough to be able to handle the changes that were required. If your deal is borderline to begin with and a little you get a little hitch like something like this, it could throw it out. It can throw the deal out. So you know, you need to make sure that there's a little room in the deal that if little changes aren't going to kill the deal. Jeff, thank you again for being on the show and talking through this situation. Very, very challenging. And it's really helpful to hear how you navigated the challenge and, you know, ultimately overcame it and, and came away with financing. Some of the key takeaways is first have a list of here's the deal and um, having a, a one sheet and prep the lenders and you know you had that list but it kept growing and growing the more the more that you talked to the lenders so at least have an initial list in this particular situation the issues that lenders had were none of the principals were local to the state that the property was in states in Ohio or the, the properties in Ohio principals were in California or are in California the properties weren't all next to each other 
part of the property or the portfolio was residential, meaning you got a duplex, a triplex, a couple single families. You also have a 12-unit studio, but residential and uh, weren't commercial. So you had the mixture there. Another lender had an issue with syndication where your group has 30% ownership, but controls 100%. And another lender just wasn't interested in the demographics. They thought that it was flat for the city, even though there's other there's data that indicates otherwise. And the takeaway, as you said, well, there's many takeaways in this conversation. One of them is get a relationship with a mortgage broker. They have an idea of, as you said, what the different lenders are like. So start those relationships right now if you're in the multifamily space and then go in with eyes wide open on the with lenders knowing that their terms might change two weeks even two weeks before you're supposed to close so what would be helpful is if you're asking the questions to the lender about their approval process and the different quotes that you're receiving and who has the final say on what those rates are So many learnings in this conversation. Thanks so much for being on the show, sharing this story and uh, how you'd overcome the situation. I hope you have a best ever week. Thank you very much, Joe. And thank you very much, uh, your your best ever uh, listeners. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Okay, here's a no-brainer. Since you're a real estate entrepreneur, you know that selecting a health insurance plan is a real pain and dealing with the whole process is a pain. That's why I've partnered up with Stride Health and they make the whole process really easy and they have a personal concierge service for you to help you out. They've got a fancy algorithm that helps find the right health plan just for you and on average they can save you 400 bucks a year and it only takes 10 minutes. Go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever. That's S-T-R-I-D-E-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com forward slash best ever.